Good morning, welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the award-winning Rainbow Radio, the real gay agenda, the only gay-themed program of its kind in the Carolinas. This is a weekly program for gay and straight people by gay and straight people, and it's presented by the Harriet Hancock Community Center. I'm your weekly host, Bruce Converse. My co-host this morning has also been our engineer for these shows, Adrian Zongrone. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, Bruce. This morning, our show is being made possible by listeners like you. Those of you out there who have been helping to keep this show on the air with your generous donations and shows of support. This morning we're going to be talking to the distinguished Pulitzer Prize winning gay playwright Edward Albee. But first, let's look at what's happened in the news lately as well as what's coming up. In international news, a 31-year-old Puerto Rican boxer, Orlando Cruz, is the latest sportsman to say he's gay. In a news release made public earlier this month, the former Olympic boxer and one of the top-ranked fighters in the world became the first boxer to publicly disclose his sexuality for the first time. In the press release, Orlando said, quote, I want to be true to myself, and I want to try to be the best role model I can be for kids who might look into boxing as a sport and a professional career. I am, and will always be, a proud Puerto Rican. I have always been, and always will be, a proud gay man, unquote. Aris Pina, a boxing historian, said Orlando's revelation will be a positive impact on the Latin community saying, quote, It takes a lot of courage to announce you're a proud, openly gay Puerto Rican man, especially within the Latin community, where men are very masculine and within the homophobic world of boxing, unquote. Hong Kong property and shipping magnate Cecil Chow Tsitong announced back in September that he would offer about $65 million in U.S. dollars to the man who could woo and marry his 33-year-old daughter, Gigi Chow. Gigi runs a modeling and public relations company in Hong Kong and is the first of the three children that Chow had with three different women. This announcement came just a week after his daughter revealed she had married her female partner of seven years in France earlier this year. The 76-year-old tycoon said the report of his daughter's same-gender marriage was false. Same-gender marriage is not legally recognized in Hong Kong, although civil unions are performed in France. Chow, who has been described as Hong Kong's preeminent playboy tycoon, said his daughter was single and needed a good husband. Chow has never married and once claimed to have slept with 10,000 women. Now, you would think that Chow's daughter would be furious at her father for trying to get a man to woo her away from her same-gender partner. However, Gigi only sees the good in her father's intentions. As she said, quote, at first I was entertained by it, and then that entertainment turned into the realization and conviction that I am a really lucky girl to have such a loving daddy, unquote. But despite being very touched and very moved by her dad's concern, Gigi said that she has no plans to leave her same-gender partner. As she said, quote, I am very happy when I am with her, unquote. Malaysia's education ministry back in mid-September approved guidance for parents on how to spot the so-called warning signs of a child who might be gay. The list of symptoms for a male child includes having a muscular body and liking to show their body by wearing v-neck and sleeveless clothes, preferring tight and light-colored clothes, being attracted to men, and liking to bring big handbags similar to those used by women when hanging out. The list for women is less stereotypic uh, it's broad strokes, even more controversial, though. The symptoms for a female child are, quote, being attracted to women, that's a good sign, besides their female companions distancing themselves from other women, liking to hang out, have meals, and sleep in the company of women, and having no affection for men, 
Malaysian government officials have started holding seminars to help the country's schoolteachers and parents to identify signs of homosexuality in children, underscoring a rise in religious conservatism in that southeastern Asian nation. The organization Teachers Foundation of Malaysia put together 10 seminars across the country and according to the group's spokesperson, about 1,500 people attended one such seminar back on September 12th. The spokesperson said, quote, It is a multi-religious and multicultural event. After all, all religions are basically against that type of behavior, unquote. The education minister who led the seminar explained how teaching how to identify gay and lesbian youth would help reduce the spread of homosexuality. He said, quote, Youths are easily influenced by websites and blogs relating to LGBT groups. This can also be spread among their friends. We are worried that this happens during school time, unquote. This isn't the first time Malaysian officials have discriminated against the LGBT community in that country. Last year, they invited international condemnation when they sent 66 boys between the ages of 13 and 17, who were identified by teachers as being, quote, effeminate, unquote, to a so-called self-development course to make them learn more masculine behavior and, quote, prevent, unquote, them from becoming gay or transgender. The move was condemned by Malaysia's women's minister as being against child welfare laws. However, there have been rumors of other de-gaying camps being held in other parts of the country. These seminars also come at a time when high-profiled Muslim lawyers in the country have actively declared that they oppose putting LGBT rights in the draft of Asian Human Rights Declaration document currently being considered by several nations. The lawyers are saying that the declassification of homosexuality by the American Psychological Association came about through intimidation. And finally, in international news, Google Trends notes that five of the top seven countries in the world whose residents search sex are Muslim countries, and in Iran especially, a virtual cottage industry has developed of clerics turning into amateur sexologists, often with laughable results. For example, one cleric declared, If a person has sex with a cow, a sheep, or a camel, it is not proper to consume the animal's milk. The former Iranian president has been quoted as saying that he believes that a woman's hair emits sexual rays, and the current president, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who approved the concept of Islamic temporary marriages that justify quick, intimate lovers' meetings, also denounces outsiders, especially Americans, for attempting to corrupt Iran's morals. Remember, Ahmadinejad also says there are no gay people in Iran. In national news, to go along with our story from Hong Kong about the father who wants to find a husband for his lesbian daughter, comes this story. When New York businessman Frank Mendelbaum died in 2007, his will stipulated that his son Robert's children wouldn't get a share in any of the $180,000 trust unless Robert was, quote, married to the child's mother within six months of the child's birth, unquote. The problem is Robert is gay. He and his husband, Jonathan O'Donnell, have a son, 16-month-old Connor, who was born via surrogate. Robert is now locked in a court battle to overturn the will and earn Connor a share in the trust, arguing that his dear old dad, who knew Robert was gay, is trying to force him into a sham marriage from beyond the grave, which would violate New York State laws promoting marriage equality. Boosted by new shows such as Partners and The New Normal, the broadcast primetime landscape is more gay-inclusive than ever. In a report released back on October 5th, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, or GLAD, 
found that at the launch of the 2012-2013 television season, the number of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in scripted series is at an all-time high. GLAAD reviewed a total of 701 characters from 97 programs scheduled to air on the five major broadcast networks. By its estimation, there are currently 31 regular LGBT characters on network television for a total of about 4.4% of all regular characters. This is a noticeable increase from last year when the grand total was 19 characters, or only 2.9%. Leading the pack is ABC, home of Modern Family and Happy Endings, where 5.2% of regular scripted characters, or 10 out of the 194, are LGBT. Right on their heels is Fox with six characters, or about 5.1%. Fox is also the only broadcast network to feature a scripted transgender character, unique on the show Glee. NBC has more LGBT characters than Fox, but its overall percentage at 4.2% is lower. Its percentage is likely to remain high given that the new normal was recently picked up for an entire season. CBS earns the worst grade of the major networks with only four LGBT characters out of 142 series regulars, or 2.8%. However, this is an improvement over last year's 0.7%, although if Partners gets canceled, which is always possible, CBS is likely to find itself back in the diversity doghouse. Numbers are also higher across cable television. Numbers are also higher across cable television, where Glad counted a total of 35 LGBT characters popping up regularly in scripted series. The overall leader of the cable network is Showtime with 12, while HBO is home to cable's most inclusive show, True Blood, which has six gay, lesbian, or bisexual characters. Adult Swim, ABC Family, Teen Nick, and MTV also earned high marks. Glad also found that this year's crop of LGBT characters, which includes 11 people of color, is more diverse than last year's. And finally, in national news, on the heels of Puerto Rican boxer Orlando Cruz coming out as gay, comes this story from right here in the U.S. ABC's Good Morning America weatherman Sam Champion has come out as gay and says that he plans to marry his longtime boyfriend, a Brazilian-born photographer, on New Year's Eve in Miami, Florida. The engagement was announced by the 51-year-old champion back on October 5th. In South Carolina news, on Saturday, November 17th, the Palmetto Transgender Association will hold the annual Transgender Day of Remembrance. It'll be held on the north side of the South Carolina capital at Gervais in Maine, starting at 7 p.m. The Palmetto Transgender Association is a statewide nonprofit network of transgender organizations, support groups in Augusta, Charleston, Columbia, Greenville, and Myrtle Beach and their allies. Stay with us. In just a few moments, we will be talking to the distinguished Pulitzer Prize-winning gay playwright, Edward Albee. So stay tuned here to Rainbow Radio. This is Shanna Kemp, sexuality educator, and you are listening to Rainbow Radio. Welcome back to Rainbow Radio. 
This morning, our guest is the distinguished gay Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, Edward Albee. Mr. Albee was born Edward Harvey in Washington, D.C., and at the age of two weeks, he was adopted by Mr. and Mrs. Reed Albee of Larchmont, New York, and renamed him Edward Franklin Albee III. From an early age, he knew he was adopted and tried several times to locate his birth parents unsuccessfully. He was also at odds with his adoptive parents as they wanted him to pursue a more conventional business or professional career rather than anything to do with the theater or the arts. His family had an interest in a national chain of theaters, the Keith Albee Organization, which had played a dominant role in the American theater since the 19th century. From the days of vaudeville and into the era of motion pictures, the Keith Albee chain merged with two other companies to become Radio Keith Orpheum, the parent company of the RKO Motion Picture Studio. Mr. Albee was expelled from two private schools before graduating and dropped out of Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut midway through his sophomore year. At age 20, he broke with his family, moved to Greenwich Village, and for 10 years absorbed every innovation in art, music, literature, and the theater, unsuccessfully pursuing a writing career in poetry and fiction until he found his calling writing for the theater. By age 30, Mr. Albee completed his first play, The Zoo Story, which premiered in Berlin, Germany, and the following year opened off-Broadway. He soon won an international reputation as a fearless observer of human alienation, bringing absurdism to the American stage with his one-act plays, The Sandbox and The American Dream, along with dramatizing America's simmering racial conflict in a more conventionally realistic short drama, The Death of Bethy Smith. Mr. Albee's first on-Broadway production was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which was a runaway success and a critical sensation. The play received a Tony Award, and he was enshrined in the pantheon of other American dramatists such as Eugene O'Neill, Arthur Miller, and Tennessee Williams. Numerous other plays, awards, and three Pulitzer Prizes later, he has graciously agreed to spend a few moments with us here on Rainbow Radio. So good morning, Mr. Albee, and welcome to Rainbow Radio. Good morning. Uh, first of all, I knew you've just spent some time recuperating from some medical issues, uh, so how are you doing today? Well, it's better to recuperate from them than not. <laughs> uh, I had open-heart surgery, which takes a little bit out of you, mm -hmm. including half of your heart. Uh, but I seem to be doing reasonably well. Uh, I don't think I've lost my mind completely. Earlier, we mentioned your maybe less than conventional family life. Can you tell us a little bit what that was like uh, growing up with your adoptive family? Well, I suppose it'd be better than growing up in an orphanage. Not much, though. We didn't get along very much. We, did, we didn't like each other terribly. Maybe I missed the fact that uh, I had been abandoned by my natural parents. I, I suppose I was. I would, would have liked to have known them, liked to have known who my natural parents were, but, uh, you know, they didn't want to have anything to do with an uh, with illegitimate kid. And so they, uh, and they got rid of me, so to speak. Mm. Fine. Okay. How would you describe yourself as a kid growing up? Well, you start off as a kid. If if you uh, if you if you're an adult, you're probably not going to grow up. So um, I was a kid when I started growing up. Sure. You've admitted before that you never really felt comfortable with your adoptive parents, leading you to you said an, an active inner life. Can yeah, you... doesn't everybody have an active inner life? What do you mean by an inner life, as opposed to an outer life or whatever? <laughs> Well, we, we were asking you that question. What, what was your inner life? Everybody has an inner life. What are you asking specifically? What do you really want to know? 
Did you have um, vivid imaginations? Did you have... Um, I hope so. I'm imagine- a writer. Did you have imaginary friends? Sometimes they're a lot more interesting than real friends. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are, is it about your early life that uh, left you feeling uncomfortable with your adoptive parents? Um, we didn't and- have anything to do with each other. We didn't okay. have the same interests. We didn't seem to want the same things with mm-hmm. being alive. We, they were very different people. They were Republicans, for one thing. So how did you... If you, you can imagine such a thing. How did you... Uh, at what age, I guess, did you start leading your life towards that direction that was what so direction? vehemently opposed to what your direction? adopted parents towards uh, the theater and the arts? I suppose when I started um, thinking... When I started reading books, when I started looking at art, when I started listening to classical music, when I started going to theater, really young. I did all that stuff very young. So I was involved with serious arts from, from the very beginning. And um, I suppose that, that, that led me in, in those evil directions. Do you remember when you started to feel that you liked the boys you were growing up a little different than the girls? Aren't boys different from girls? Oh, yes. Well, why wouldn't I? Well, are, you asking me, are you asking me when I found out that I was gay? Yeah. When is, that you, the, is that the question you're asking? That'll be the question I'm going to ask, yes. No, you just asked it. Okay. You, you phrased it okay. very cagely. Okay. Yes. I, as soon as I discovered that I preferred having sex with males rather than females, I'm not stupid. It occurred to me that maybe I was gay. It took me about five minutes to figure this out. You know, I'd had sex with, with, with girls. I, I knew girls. I, I, I liked girls, but I didn't find myself particularly drawn to them uh, sexually. And it occurred to me, why not do stuff with, uh, with people you relate to? And I found that sexually, and ultimately, very soon, emotionally, I was relating an awful lot more uh, to guys my own age than, than girls my own age. And not, since I'm not dumb, it occurred to me, hey, maybe that's the way I was leaning. Did that cause another source of tension between you and your adoptive family? We never talked about it, so it obviously did. Most of the stuff we never talked about they were mm-hmm. unhappy with. Could you describe those years that were not such successful for you? I've always had some successes and some failures every year. And you have to tell me what you mean by success and failure, by the way. Well, you had some down years. You had some years... What does that mean? Well, you had some years where your... What defines success? Well, I was going to ask you that question later on. What did you think about being successful? But in the eyes of critics and things, some of you your work was not... You tell me what you mean by successful, and okay. I can tell you. Okay. Did you feel uh, that you were treated well... Um, over the years in terms of your production of plays and things that the I critics were... I think lots of very, very good productions, many more good productions than bad ones. How many intelligent reviews have I gotten? Some. How many stupid reviews have I gotten? Some. Maybe a few more. Mm-hmm. Okay. This morning we're talking to Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright uh, Edward Albee, and we'll be continuing our discussion with Mr. Albee in just a moment here on Rainbow Radio.
This week's show is brought to you by listeners like you. Rainbow Radio wants to thank all of you for your continuing support. Get a bunch of your friends together and sponsor a show. It's only 200 bucks. However, any amount you can send will be greatly appreciated. If you've never donated or sponsored a show, now is the time to join all of those listeners like you who have already done so. Here's what you have to do. Send your donations or sponsorships made out to Rainbow Radio to Post Office Box 12648, Columbia, South Carolina, 29211. If you've already sponsored or donated, your continued support will also be appreciated. If you like our show, support Rainbow Radio, not only by listening to it, but also by donating or sponsoring to help keep this show on the air. The Human Rights Campaign thought enough of this show to award Rainbow Radio their 2007 Equality Award. Remember... Tell all of your friends not only to listen to our shows, but to join listeners like you. Tell them to sponsor or donate to keep this show on the air, especially if you've never done so before. Thanks again from all of us here at Rainbow Radio for the support of listeners like you. Welcome back to Rainbow Radio. This morning we have the distinguished pleasure of talking to Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, Edward Albee, and uh, writers are always told to write about what they know or have experienced. As I think that's some of the most stupid advice anybody's ever given anybody. You hear that all the time, though. I mean, if you, if you write about only what you know, unless you use your imagination and, and, and create things mm-hmm. and imagine things, that then you're not doing anything inventive or, or interesting or useful. Along with your imagination. If you only, if you only do what you know... Mm-hmm. You're not taking any chances, and you're not using your imagination. Was uh, with your imagination, was there any part of your real life that snuck into some of your plays? What's, what's the difference between my real life and my imaginative life? My imaginative life is the result mm-hmm. of how I observe what happens in my real life. So they have to be related. Okay. It can't not be interactive. All right. Now, I... Uh, Speaking of, you know, awful advice to other playwrights, several years ago, you actually started reserving part of your time to start training young writers yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? What made you decide to start training younger writers? I tell them, let the only thing limit them is the limits of their imagination. Mm -hmm. What you can imagine is much more important than what you have experienced. Do you find imaginations as alive today as they were when you were younger? Whose imagination? Anybody's. Well, it can be. Why would it, how, why would it, why would it be any less? I always maintain that once television showed up, it changed us from being a hear-it-to-believe-it to a see-it-to-believe-it, which is awfully you don't, you hard don't, to do. You don't do. have to watch TV. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, what occupies your time now? Uh, the same stuff it always did, being ornery, being difficult, writing plays, uh, the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Have your, no, no, nothing any different. How have your goals changed? Is there anything left on your plate that you'd like to accomplish? Have my goals changed? I want to get better. At what? Oh, as a playwright. Okay. okay. And maybe as a human being. Or maybe worse. Maybe that would be better. <laughs> as a human being, not a playwright. Yeah. If you hadn't been a playwright, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, golly. I don't know. Maybe I'd be asking asking questions about the playwrights on interview programs. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Touche, Mr. Alby. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you like to do in your recreational time? What recreational time? I don't, I don't make the distinction between a job and recreation. Fortunately, I've never had a job. You know, I, I write plays. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Is that a job? No. It's, it's a life. Uh, uh, we talk- I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to take time mm-hmm. off from being conscious. <laughs> okay. Uh, we talked briefly in the first part of the show about success. What do you consider a being it, a... Well, you define it in terms no, no, of, what of do you. What do you mean by success? Okay. You're asking me about do you, success. Do you feel accomplished? Define, define your terms. What do you mean by success? Do you feel accomplished in what you've done? I'm pretty good. I'm better than a lot. Do you need public recognition? It helps pay the bills, but no, I've, I've never written anything or done anything in my life. Mm-hmm to become famous or well-known or rich or anything. God knows I couldn't do that. You don't get rich being a serious playwright. Which of your plays would you consider to be most successful? Define success again. I'm back to you defining success. You mean commercially successful? You mean money? Well, I I guess I was wondering um, how you would consider one of your plays to be successful. Well, I consider some of my plays that are very, that not many people know about, that haven't been commercially successful. I consider them artistically better than a lot of the more commercially viable ones. So it depends upon whose definition. If you've got a really rotten critic who's only interested in commerce, and doesn't care about the quality of the work he's writing about, you're going to find a totally different answer than you would if you're talking about somebody mm-hmm. who's talking about something that was a flop commercially, but was really a much better play. Yeah. To anybody out there who one day maybe wants to be a playwright, what words of wisdom would you like to give them? I don't have necessarily any wisdom. At least I don't pretend to think that I have any wisdom. you have any advice? Uh, a few things. Uh, believe what you're writing. Don't do anything that you don't believe. Don't lie. Tell as much truth as you know. And don't try to avoid anything or do anything just because it will be commercial or safer. Good good words to go by, I think. Thank you. Uh, you've been quoted as saying what could be worse than getting to the end of your life and realizing you hadn't lived it. Uh, I kind of feel most people who end up there spend at least half of their lives not living them. They've made compromises that don't allow them to live their lives fully. Have you lived yours? Is it still a work in progress? Of course, it's still a work in progress because I haven't died yet. (laughs) I haven't. I I haven't. uh, um, At least I don't think I have. Yeah, I don't think I've died yet. I think I'm still alive and I'm and I'm living through my Mm -hmm. life. So, yeah, I think I'm still working on trying to get it right. Okay. Edward Albee, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. It's been an honor to have you as a guest here on Rainbow Radio. We wish you many more successful years ahead of you. Thanks a lot. Thank and, you. And let's define, make sure we're defining successful yeah. correctly. We, we will do that. Thank you, sir. All right. <laughs> All right. Be Thanks safe. Thanks a lot. Be safe. Bye. Thanks for joining us this morning on Rainbow Radio, the real gay agenda. And thanks goes to listeners like you, those of you out there who've been helping to keep this show on the air with your generous donations and shows of support for bringing you today's show. And I'd also like to thank my co-host this morning, who has been our engineer for these shows, Adrian Zongrone. Thanks, Adrian. Rainbow Radio would love to hear from you. Please contact us with any show ideas to share a commentary, suggest a guest, or just let us know what you think about our program. You can do all of that by either sending us an email to scrainbowradio at gmail.com or write to us at 1108 Woodrow Street, Columbia, South Carolina, 29205. 
And you can also call and leave a message for us at the Harriet Hancock Community Center. The number is 803-771-7713. You can listen to some of our most recent shows at the website soundcloud.com slash rainbow dash radio. And if you or any of your friends want to sponsor a show, we can tell you how to go about doing that. Again, that email address is scrainbowradio at gmail.com. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rainbowradio. There, you can read current news and stream new episodes. And you'll be the first to know about all the latest show updates. Or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash rainbowradiosc. This show will continue as long as we have your support. I know it's hard to believe, and I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks, but this is now starting into our ninth year of Rainbow Radio being on the air here in South Carolina. And I want to thank everybody who's even had a small hand in the past eight years. It couldn't have happened without any of you, and especially those listeners like you out there. So continue listening, because in the coming weeks, we'll be talking about some big news coming to Rainbow Radio. It's future, it's format, and it's sound. So listen next week when we'll have another great show. And in the meantime, have a terrific and a safe week.